want to invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn to Mark chapter 1. We'll be beginning in verse 16 this morning as we look at verses 16 through 20. Mark 1, 16 through 20. Once you've found that, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and went away to follow him. Let's pray. God, we come to the book of God that you have given us that we might know you. God, we've come in to, to hear what it is you would say to your people today. Oh, God, I pray that those gathered here today would treat this as a holy moment. For this is the time we have set aside to hear the voice of God through the preaching of his word. So give us ears to hear today, God. By your spirit, God, open our ears to hear truth. Open our eyes to see Jesus. And by the word of God, transform us by the renewing of our minds. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Please be seated. We are a small group of ordinary people. The world doesn't know our names. Or even that we exist for the most part. We probably aren't the most educated or influential people in society. But I'll tell you what we are. We are disciples of Jesus. Now, that may not seem like such a big deal. Oh, but it is. And today we're going to find out why. Last week we began a study of the Gospel of Mark. We learned that a disciple is someone who has believed in Jesus, repented of sin, and been made new spiritually, been born again. We looked at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry and, and saw that he was sent with the full support of heaven to establish God's kingdom. We learned that a disciple responds to that truth by living a life of faith and repentance. Today, what we're going to see is Jesus calling his very first disciples. These are the first people that Jesus summoned to follow him and be a part of his kingdom work. And here's what we're going to learn as we study this morning. We're going to come to understand this thing of being a disciple of Jesus a little better. Here's what we're going to see. Disciples are ordinary people who have answered the call of Jesus to follow him and join his work. 
Disciples are ordinary people who have answered the call of Jesus to follow him and join his work. I want to try to accomplish two things this morning as we look at these verses. First, I want you to realize what an honor it is to be a disciple of Jesus. It's a big stinking deal to be a disciple of Jesus. I want you to see that. What an honor and a privilege it is to be a disciple of Christ. Second, I want you to understand the responsibility we have as disciples of Christ. The work he's given us to do so that you can give yourselves to it. So today we're going to make three observations from these verses about the call of a disciple. The call that we've received if we are indeed disciples of Christ. Now here's the first thing I want us to notice. First, let's talk about the recipients of the call. Who is it that Jesus calls to be disciples? Now, as we come to verse 16, I want you to keep in mind the context. What's going on here is Jesus has just launched his public ministry. If you look just the verse before this, you'll see Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God. So Jesus has begun his ministry to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And so now he's going to call some disciples, recruit some people to join him in his work. Now what we might expect is to find him in Jerusalem, the capital city where the temple is. Recruiting the religious experts. I mean, if you're on a mission, a religious mission, a mission for God, don't you want the religious folk on your team? Don't you want to get the, the religious experts, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those people who are supposed to be educated in all this stuff? That's who you would expect Jesus to be going to get people like that to join his team. Or maybe you, you might expect Jesus to be finding the wealthy and influential. I mean, if you're going to set out on a mission to change the world, you need resources, right? You need people who've got some money, people who've got some connections. You, you're going to need some things like that. You, you need people who have the knowledge, the religious knowledge. You need people with connections and influence. You're going to need all that stuff if you're going to change the world. So it makes sense to find Jesus in Jerusalem looking for just that kind of people. But that isn't where you find Jesus. He's not in Jerusalem. He's all the way in the northern part of Israel. By the Sea of Galilee. And he's not calling the religious experts. He's not calling the wealthy and influential. The very first people he recruits to be on his team are fishermen. You see it in verse 16? As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. They were fishermen too. Two sets of brothers. 
Simon, who we know to be Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James and John. All four of these guys are fishermen. These are the first four men Jesus recruits to be on his team. Listen, they aren't educated. They have no connections, no wealth, no influence. To be honest, they don't really seem to be the kind of people who would be of much use helping Jesus in his mission. Unless his mission is to feed the hungry, these guys are just fishermen. They got no money, they got no influence, they got no education. The only thing that stands out about these men is how ordinary they are. Just ordinary. Common people. Who are disciples? Ordinary people. Common people. I want you to think about it. These men are four of the men that Jesus used to establish the Christian church in the world. These men literally changed the course of history. Fishermen. Not a degree in the bunch. Fishermen. You know the kind of people that Jesus calls to be his disciples? To join with him on mission? Common, everyday, ordinary people like you and like me. Truck drivers, factory workers, waitresses, teachers, sanitation workers, custodians, secretaries, bank tellers. You get the picture. Ordinary people. Oh yeah, there, there are a few of the influential and there are a few doctors and lawyers and professors. But the vast majority of people that Jesus has used to change the world for Christ has been ordinary, common, everyday people just like you and just like me. And listen, isn't that the way God is? Isn't that just like God even in the Old Testament, you remember David? David is one of eight brothers. God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint Israel's new king. And you know, when it came time for Samuel to inspect the brothers of the, the, uh, the sons of Jesse to see which brother God would choose, you know, they didn't even invite David to the party. He was keeping the sheep. You see, he was the youngest of eight. He was the last one anybody would have picked to be Israel's next king. But guess who God picked? David. What about Joshua chapter 2? You remember the story of the spies going into Jericho? The two spies. And you remember they ended up at the house of a prostitute named Rahab? A, a, a lady who ended up playing a significant role in Israel's history. Of all the people in Jericho that God could have picked, he picked a prostitute. I don't know if you know this. This woman was a direct ancestor of Jesus himself. Did you know that? 
This woman is named in the genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament, a prostitute. And not only that, she ends up in Hebrews 11 that we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. A prostitute. Listen, God doesn't need the wealthy and influential and powerful and educated. It's just like Jesus to call ordinary folk. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. What does all that mean? That means God doesn't call a whole lot of famous folk. A whole lot of people who are big and famous and popular in the world's eyes. He calls ordinary folks like me and you. You know why? So that everybody will know that what good is accomplished is because of him, not because of us. See, God don't want people who want to put themselves in the spotlight. God wants people who are content to stand in the background and let Jesus be in the spotlight. That's why he calls ordinary folk. Because we know we're nothing but just common people. We, we know we're nothing but ordinary folk. Just exactly the kind of people that Jesus calls to be his disciples. Today, if you're, if you're just ordinary, nothing special about you, just common. Maybe you don't have a lot of education. Maybe, maybe you don't have any special skill set that makes you stand out. Maybe you don't consider yourself very much good at anything. You're just as common and ordinary and plain as they come. Can I tell you something? You're just exactly the kind of person Jesus is looking for. Ordinary. That's the recipients of the call. Disciples are ordinary people. Now, I want you to notice next the specifics of the call. We find some specifics about this call to be a disciple that are important. The first thing I want to point out to you is Jesus is the one who issues the call. Notice it. Verse 17. Jesus said to them, this is being Simon and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is the one who issues the call. Now, this doesn't seem that unusual to you and I because we've read this a thousand times. But there's something you've got to understand. In first century Jewish life, this was very unusual. Why? Because a teacher never chose his disciples, his students. A rabbi did not pick people to be his students. The student always pursued the teacher. So in other words, if you wanted to be a student of a particular rabbi, you would approach that rabbi. You would pursue him. It never was the other way around. Even in the Old Testament, if you look at the prophets and the men of God, Moses and Abraham and all them, you never see them telling other people, follow me. Never. They always say, follow God or follow God's word. They never say, follow me. Jesus is doing something that was not done. He's telling them, 
follow me. He's assuming a position of authority that was not done in his day. Follow me. Can I tell you something today? If you're a disciple, it's because Jesus issued the call for you to follow. Can I tell you that? You're not a Christian today because you pursued Jesus. You're a Christian today because He pursued you. How many of you know that old song, He came to me? When I couldn't go to where He was, He came to me. Who was it that took the initiative to rescue us from sin? He did. What were James and John and Peter and Andrew doing when Jesus went? They were fishing. They weren't even at the church house. It's Jesus who took the initiative. Listen, if we're disciples, it's, it's because Jesus chose to call us to be His disciples. I don't know if you get that. That's a big deal. He, he chose me to serve Him. Why in the world would He... I wouldn't have picked me in a million years. I wouldn't have picked me. I know me. And he picked you to serve him. He issued the call for you to follow him and serve him. There's something else I need you to know about this call. The specifics are that it comes from Jesus. Here's the second thing. It's a call to follow. The call of a disciple is a call to follow Jesus. You see, he says that. The first thing he says to these fishermen is, follow me. This is a summons to these men to attach themselves to him. To accept and submit to his authority over their lives. To learn from him. And to imitate his example. That's really it. it. It's just exactly what it says. Follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. Hear what I teach you. Learn what I want you to learn. Obey my instructions. Matthew chapter 10, 25 tells us the goal of a disciple is ultimately to be like his teacher. That's what Jesus is calling them to do. To act like him and think like him and learn to do the things he tells them to do. Can I tell you that's the heart of what it means to be a disciple? A disciple is first and foremost a follower of Jesus. Somebody who submits to his authority. Somebody who learns from him. Somebody who does his will. Somebody who seeks to be like Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. Are you actively seeking to follow Jesus? Are you actively following Jesus? That means are you actively seeking to learn what he's trying to teach you? Are you actively seeking each day to obey His directions? Are you actively seeking to be engaged in doing the things that He wants you to do? Are you actively trying to imitate His example in your life? Are you actively following Jesus? Or are you passive in the whole thing? You're just sitting there. Or are you actually trying to follow Him? Do you understand that to be a disciple of Jesus is to be engaged 
in following Jesus. Listen, these guys couldn't follow Jesus without moving. We're going to talk about this more in a minute. They had to move. They had to do something. It involved action. Can I tell you, being a follower of Jesus involves action. I need to show you something else. Here's another specific I want you to see about this call to be a disciple. It's a call to join Jesus on mission. Remember what Jesus' mission is to establish the kingdom of God in the earth. Listen, the kingdom does not grow by conquering lands. It's not like a nation. If you want to expand the kingdom, you go to the kingdom next door, you conquer them, you, you, you know, and assume their land and their people into your kingdom. That's not the way the kingdom of God grows. The kingdom of God grows as more and more people become subjects of the king through faith and repentance in Jesus. What does that mean? That means the kingdom grows as people get saved. When people get saved, they're born into the kingdom of God. They become citizens of the kingdom. That's how the kingdom grows. As more and more people are brought under the reign of Jesus through faith and repentance. That's the work that Jesus is about. That's the work He's called His disciples to be involved in. So to advance the kingdom is to bring people into faith. That's what Jesus means when He tells these men, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. To advance the kingdom is to lead people to submit to Jesus as king. This is exactly the great commission. When Jesus got ready to go back to heaven, when he left these same disciples to carry on his work, he said, go therefore into all nations, baptizing them, right? Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what this is about. It's about expanding the kingdom. Je Listen, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, they weren't just called to follow, period. They were called to follow with a goal in mind. Jesus called them to follow him with the goal that they would become fishers of men and get engaged in his work. Listen, when Jesus calls us to be his disciples, it is not just to follow, period. It's to follow for a specific purpose, to engage with him in what he's about. He's calling us to have part in his work. Disciples are not just people who follow Jesus for no specific reason. No, there's a design in the whole thing. There's a purpose in the whole thing. And the purpose is to be engaged in the kingdom. How do I know this? Because the New Testament teaches us that every single believer in Jesus Christ has been gifted by the Holy Spirit, received a spiritual gift to enable you to serve in the body of Christ, in the church, to serve God's kingdom purposes in some way. All of us. There are no bench warmers in the kingdom of God. Everybody has a starting position. Everybody is supposed to be active and has a role to play. These men were called because God had a work in mind for them. 
when God called you, when the Lord issued a call for you to be His disciples, and you said yes, He called you because He had a work for you to do in His kingdom. And there's a million different ways that God uses people to work in His kingdom. Some it's teaching the little ones in church. With Some it's they have a gift to show kindness and compassion to those in need. For others, they have a they have a gift of intercessory prayer to get on their knees and pray on behalf of others, and that's their gift. For some, God's given them resources, and their gift is to be able to give. Other people have the gift of evangelism. They just have a gift to be able to talk to people and help them to find Jesus as Savior. Some people are gifted to teach the Bible. All of us are gifted in different ways to serve the kingdom. Disciples are not just people who follow for no reason. No, we engage in the work of the kingdom. Now I have to ask you, are you engaged in the work of the kingdom? What is your role in helping Jesus to accomplish his mission? You weren't called just to go to church and do nothing else. Going to church is great. I'm glad you do. But to advance the kingdom, we have to actually do something. We have to engage in the work of the kingdom. Are you engaged in the work of the kingdom in some way? Os Guinness is a British man, but he grew up in China. After World War II and after there'd been a brutal civil war in China, he was just a lad growing up in Nanjing, China, the nation's capital. But... Uh, there were no good schools where he was living. So even though he was only five years old, he found himself on an airplane on the way to Shanghai to go to a boarding school. Now, Oskina says, the decision to send me at five years old to a boarding school was due to extreme circumstances. But they believed that the best thing for him. So they sent him at five years old to go to a boarding school. Before he left, his father found two stones, flat, smooth, round stones. And he wrote something on them. On one stone, he wrote his life motto. And on the other stone, he wrote Oss's mother's life motto. And for years, Oss Guinness carried one stone in each pocket. And those stones were designed to remind him of the family's faith so that he didn't forget his faith. And Os Guinness says, for years, those two little stones were tangible memos in my pockets. In my right hand pocket was my father's motto, found faithful. And in my left-hand pocket was my mother's motto, please him. If you boil it all down, that's really what being a disciple is about. Being found faithful and pleasing him. Being found faithful as a follower of Jesus and pleasing him by being engaged in the work of the kingdom. That's the specifics of what it means to be a disciple. But there's something else I want you to notice. I want you to notice the response to the call. 
We've already seen the recipients of the call, just ordinary people. We've seen the specifics of the call, called to follow and engage in the work of the kingdom. Now I want you to see how did disciples respond to the call of Jesus? Verse 18. In verse 17, Jesus issues the call, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. What is the very next word, the first word of verse 18? Immediately. Let me ask you a question. How quick is immediately? Pretty quick. Immediately. They left their nets and followed him. Immediately. What does it mean to follow Jesus? How does a disciple respond to the call of Jesus without hesitation? Without hesitation. On Peter's part, there was no hesitation. He didn't say, well, let me go home and pray about it and think about it a while. When the master speaks, the servant obeys. It's the nature of the relationship. When the master speaks, the servant obeys. As disciples, how do we respond to the call of Jesus without hesitation? We don't debate it. Well, do I really? I know this is what Jesus would want me to, but do I really want to do that? Well, I know this is what I ought to do, but I just ain't really sure I want to do that. No. The servant obeys because the master commands. That's the only reason you need, right? To be a disciple of Jesus means when he issues the call to follow, when he issues the call to engage in his work, we respond to that call without hesitation. But, but that's not all. I want you to notice something else. Look what it says in verse 18. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, notice that little phrase, they left their nets. What does that mean? It means they walked away from their livelihood. Keep in mind, they didn't just leave their nets for a few minutes to come back after they went to church and prayed a little while. No, 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 no. These men were Jesus' constant companions for three solid years. And after that, they became missionaries to the world. They never went back to fishing for fish. For the rest of their lives, they were fishing for men. They left their means of livelihood. They left their lifestyle. But that's not all they left. Look at verse 20. When Jesus called the brothers James and John, notice what it says about them. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. They left their nets too. But they left something else. When they left the nets in the boat, there was something even more significant they left in the boat. You know what it was? Daddy. They left daddy in the boat. They left their father in the boat to go follow Jesus. Now, does that mean they abandoned their family? No, it doesn't mean they abandoned their family. They didn't swear off their family. 
but they had received a call that had to mean they had to put Jesus as priority. You know what it means to respond to Jesus? We respond without hesitation. And here's the second. We respond without reservation. We don't hold anything back. We don't let our livelihood keep us from responding to Jesus. We don't even let our family keep us responding to Jesus. We put nothing ahead of the call of Jesus. A disciple responds to Jesus without hesitation and without reservation. Listen to these verses. Luke 9, 57 to 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to go say goodbye to those at home. Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What is the message Jesus is trying to send in these verses? A disciple follows without hesitation and without reservation. If you're a disciple of Jesus, that's the way you're called to obey without hesitation and without reservation. Jim Dennison is a pastor in Texas. He tells a story about when he was in college, he served as a summer missionary in East Malaysia. And while he was there, he attended a small church. And at one of the worship services, this teenage girl came forward to announce her decision to follow Christ and be baptized. Well, a little later during the service, Jim noticed something that seemed out of the ordinary. He, he noticed up against one of the walls of the church, there was some old luggage leaned against the wall. And Jim kind of poked the pastor and said, what's the luggage about? And he pointed to that girl who had walked out. He said, you see that girl that we just baptized? He said, yeah. He said, her father told her if she was baptized as a Christian, she could never come home again. So she brought her luggage. What does that mean? Without hesitation. Without reservation. See, they were Muslims. And her daddy said, you, you can't be a Christian and live here. If you'd be a Christian, you're never coming home. So what'd she do? She just packed her stuff. Well, how do you respond to Jesus? Do you respond like that? What he says, do you do it? Where he says, go, you go. If it means you have to pack your suitcase, you pack your suitcase. No reservation. No hesitation. I want you to hear what I'm trying to say to you today. What does it mean for you and I to be disciples of Jesus? Disciples are ordinary people who have answered the call of Jesus to follow him and join in his work. That's it. We are ordinary people who have answered the call of Jesus to follow him and join in his work. I want you to see what an honor and a privilege 
I don't know if you've ever thought about this. If you're a disciple of Jesus, that means you were chosen by the king to be a part of the greatest mission in the history of the world. Do you ever think about that? Jesus summoned you. Ordinary, common you. To join with him in his plan to redeem sinners from all over creation. We who are common people. Summoned by the king to join with him, follow him, and be his emissaries in this world. Can I tell you, there are no accolades and no awards in this life that come anywhere close to that. There is no greater honor than being called to be a disciple of Jesus. No greater honor, no greater privilege. Can I tell you, you're not doing Jesus a favor by following him. He's doing you a favor. Can I tell you today, God don't need you. He don't need you. He could do everything he wants to do without a spit in one of us. But he chooses to include you and me in his work. Matter of fact, it'd probably be easier if he did it on his own. But he, he chooses people like me and you. So that even though we're broken and fallen, even though we mess up, he does his work through us so that his glory shines all the more. What a privilege to be his disciple. And as his disciples, we have a work to do. We have a work to do. Listen, this year, you're going to be given some opportunities to get involved in the Lord's work in specific ways. This year, on several occasions, I'm going to provide you the opportunity to get involved in the work of the kingdom in very specific ways. How are you going to respond? If you're a disciple of Jesus, the way you respond is without hesitation and without reservation. It's a yes. I, I want to know today, will you commit yourself even now that when the Lord provides you the opportunity to follow and engage in his work, that you'll say yes? But you haven't even told us what it is. Well, should it matter? If the Lord calls us and gives us a way to engage in his work, shouldn't we be willing to do it? Even if we have to bring a suitcase. Let's pray.